Well, we are in the third week of our look at Nehemiah. And you'll remember that in the first week, Nehemiah receives the news that his beloved Jerusalem is in dire straits. There's no wall around the city. It's been broken down. They are vulnerable. They are open to danger. There's no defense. And so Nehemiah, he is devastated. He's just devastated. And he immediately leans in to pray, weeping, fasting, praying. We notice his posture in the first uh, part of, in the first little bit of chapter one, we notice his posture. He sat down and wept and he knelt and prayed. And then finally he stands and acts. And after given permission by the king to rebuild the wall, the permission that came like four months later, he then goes on to Jerusalem. And then last week we looked at that. We talked about how Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. He surveyed the damage and then he rallies the people who immediately lean in to act, led by Nehemiah, Nehemiah and unite it for the cause, and they begin this good work of rebuilding the wall. But remember, it wasn't without opposition, was it? From within and from without. And Nehemiah, he steps in to encourage them and, and to lead them to be people prepared to withstand the enemy. And when they go back to building, we notice their posture as well. They start to build with one hand on the work and the other on the sword. And it was a posture that we encouraged us to have too, right? One hand on the work and one hand on the sword. And so we've highlighted so far leaning in to pray and leaning in to act. But today, as we read Nehemiah chapter 8... I want us to see and to notice how the people of Israel leaned in to the word of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us to Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on the platform to his right stood Mattia, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Melchiah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Benai, Sherebiah, 
Jamin, a cub, Shabbatai, Hadiah, Messiah, Keltiah, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, and Peleah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words they had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the scribe to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees, and from myrtles, palm trees, and shade trees, to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs. In their courtyards, in the courts of the water, in the, sorry, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole, com the whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until the day the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast of seven days, and on the eighth day in accordance with the regulation there was with an assembly. Thank you, Mandy. I wasn't, I wasn't passing the buck there with all those names. You did very well. <laughs> Until now, the focus has been on the rebuilding of the wall, something that they completed in 52 days. This met the physical needs of the people. But what we'll see today is how Nehemiah also cared for the spiritual needs of the people, too. We've seen the rebuilding of the wall. Now there's a rebuilding of the heart. And in chapter 8, the people, they gather at the water gate and they ask Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring the book of the law the book of Moses. We would know that to be the first five, uh, five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And we see here their united desire to gather around the book and to hear the word of God. We have a practice in our family Maybe you have it in yours as well. That before we open any gifts on Christmas morning, we read together from Luke chapter 2. 
everyone gathers around and listens to the one who is reading that particular year. Now, I admit, there might be less contemplation on the words that are being read and more thoughts towards what's going to happen after the reading is complete. But it is a moment for us to pause together, unite it around the word of God. And I imagine here in Nehemiah 8, I imagine the scene to be something similar, except on a much grander scale, and perhaps with more eager anticipation, right? You see, unlike us today, the average person didn't have a Bible in every room of the house, in every nook and cranny. We di they didn't have scripture plastered as art around their house. They didn't have something in their pocket, a device that contained any translation of the Word of God. They had heard stories passed down, but they didn't have the book. They didn't have the book. They wanted to hear from the book. Confident that as they listened to these words, it would speak to them, it would challenge them, it would satisfy them. And they were expectant. And so Ezra stands in front of them, in front of all of these men, women, and children, and he's on a podium not to build himself up, but to show the great reverence for the reading of the word. And when he stands and opens the book, everyone stands to their feet. Can you picture it? You see, the word of God, it's not like any other article or book that we read. While we may have grown used to access that we have to the Word of God, what we see in the people of Israel on this day is this respect, this desire to hang on every word that Nehemiah reads. And as they listen for half a day, I might add, half a day, the words being read, as they listen to these words, there's a physical response. The word has brought them to their feet. It has brought them to the ground in worship. It's even brought them to tears. And it eventually moved them to action. And you know, I'm inclined to ask of us today, have we allowed the word of God and the Holy Spirit at work through the word to penetrate our entire being to the point that the people of Israel experienced right here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. 
The Word of God is not just any book that sits on our bookshelf. It is living. It is active. It is able to instruct and encourage. It is able to teach and build up. And it contains the message of the love of, that God has for you and for me. And I think somehow the people of Israel, they knew that. I've been fascinated by a Bible engagement poll that was conducted of about 40,000 people aged 8 to 80. And the, the people conducting the poll, they wanted to see how people engaged with Scripture. And what they found that was that people who read their Bibles at least four times a week, week had seen significant impact in their lives. When they were in the Word of God regularly, feelings of loneliness dropped by 30%. When they were in the Word of God regularly, anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped by 40%. Alcoholism dropped by 57% when people were in the Word of God at least four times a week. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know that feeling? If you feel like you're not growing in your relationship with God, or if somebody says to you, I'm not spiritually there, then ask them, how much time are they spending in the Word of God? If you're feeling spiritually stagnant, those feelings dropped by 60% amongst people who were in the Word of God at least four times a week. Now, on the flip side of that, sharing your faith jumped 200%. Discipling other people jumped 230% for those who were in the Word of God at least four times a week. This is what the Word of God does. This living, active Word of God is able to go deep and affect the inner workings of our being. That's what it does. And yet somehow we grow indifferent to the Word. Oh, I'll get to that later. And then the day goes on, and we get busy, and we forget. And before you know it, Days and weeks have passed, and our Bible has just collected dust. We become more passive to its teachings, explaining away things as this or that. We, we accept the promises, but somehow, maybe conveniently, we forget the instruction that leads to life. And so as we look at the Israelites in Nehemiah chapter 8, I don't want us to feel bad. Or even worse, I don't want us to feel guilt-tripped into reading more. But what I want is that we would consider how our relationship with God can grow as we lean in to God's Word with expectation, with desire, with reverence, much like what the Israelites did on that day. As we watch the Israelites lean into God's word with such hunger and passion, may it ignite in us 
compassion as we lean in to do the same. And so there are three things here the, we see from the Israelites as they lean into God's word. One, we see them understand the word. We see them rejoice in the word, and we see them obey the word. In, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 7, the Levites, are instru- the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. The book was likely being read to them in, in a different language. But yet it was so important that they understood the word that the Levites gathered around the people in groups. Maybe these were some of the very first small groups. They gathered around in groups and helped them understand what was being spoken to them. You know, I love this image of people huddled together trying to understand what they're hearing. I imagine them literally leaning in to God's word. You know, there's a couple of traps we fall into when it comes to reading the Bible. One, we feel like we have to read large chunks at a time. Right? When we do this, we sometimes can gloss over what we're reading. We can feel like it's a chore. Oh, do I have to read the whole book of Matthew today? We can fall asleep. I'm sure that's never happened to any of you. And worse yet, we can read and not understand. Another trap is that we merely supplement our devotions or books with a little bit of scripture. This can help with our understanding, but we risk being influenced by the author of the book or the devotional. What we can do, though, is approach God's word, asking the Holy Spirit to guide us and teach us through the words to help our understanding of the word and... We can slow down. There's no rule that says we must read three chapters a day. Rather, approach Scripture with enthusiasm. Approach Scripture with this desire to hear from God. Come to the Word of God expecting. See where He takes you from there. Then, consider getting together with others whether that's through a small group or over a coffee with a friend, and discuss the word together. Because I believe spiritual growth happens best in the context of community. When we are in the word of God regularly, we are more inclined to talk about the word of God with other people. And then we end up combating loneliness and isolation as well as we gather around the word together through small groups just like these in Nehemiah 8. And we grow in our knowledge of God and in our understanding and in community. It's a win-win. And so as they leaned into the word of God together, they sought to understand 
the word. Secondly, they rejoiced in the word. Nehemiah 8, verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. First of all, we've already seen a variety of postures throughout the book of Nehemiah. We've seen Nehemiah's posture in response to the news about the wall. He sat, he knelt, and he stood. We've seen the posture of the people when they faced the opposition to the rebuilding. One hand on the work, the other on the sword. Here in verse 6, notice the posture of the people once again. There is a physical response to the word of God. They lift their hands. They shout in agreement. And they bow down on their faces and worship. Stop and think about that. Ezra has been reading this book of the law for hours. Nothing like going through some Leviticus for you. Think about it. Instead of looking at their watches, instead of saying, when is this over? Are we done yet? Instead of, instead of nodding off, their physical response to God's word is to get on their faces and worship. That's the posture. And in the understanding of the law, they begin to mourn and to weep because they see the distance between them and God. And of course they would be. Paul reminds us in Romans 3.20, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The law does not save us, but it reminds us that we need to be saved. It convinces us that we need a savior, and then it points us to the savior of the world, to Jesus. The only one who could make it all right. The only one who would take on all the sin that the law reminds us of and deal with it and then say, child, you are forgiven. This was the joy set before him. The joy for which he endured the cross, the pain, the agony. The joy of restoring us. The joy of redeeming us. The joy of reconciling us to himself. God delights to restore his people. He delights in forgiving us, saving us. He's happy to show love to us. Whenever we're downcast, remember... God delights in saving us. This is the joy that Nehemiah refers to when he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. You might have that on a coffee mug somewhere. Let the joy he has for us strengthen us, be a refuge for us. 
And Nehemiah reminds them, don't weep. Instead, rejoice. Because God's promise to forgive and restore them is worth rejoicing about. And as they affirm this covenant relationship with God, Nehemiah reminds them that the joy of the Lord is their strength in their refuge. So as we dig into the word of God, delight in it. Rejoice in it. Mine it for treasures and live by its truth. Finally, they obeyed the word. They obeyed the word. Nehemiah 8, verse 14. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country, bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. Verse 16, so the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. Verse 14, they found it written in the law. And then verse 16, so the people went out. God said it, they did it. The end. This is such a beautiful example of obedience for us, church. There is no public debate. There's no explaining why it should be this way or that way. There is simply obedience. I find today we sometimes do all we can to live as close to the world's standards while still following God. It's easy to do. We allow ourselves far too easily to be discipled by the world. Perhaps this is one of the symptoms of our apathy toward the word of God. However, if we studied the word as much as we study the news or social media or YouTube or the latest conspiracy theory, could we be inclined to respond as the Israelites did on this day? Could we be inclined to see our sin, grieve and accept forgiveness and rejoice in what Jesus has done and then share it with others? You know, I'm not suggesting that we turn off everything else, but I am suggesting that we audit our lives to see what's influencing us more. Is it culture or is it the word? we are going to face more challenge, not less. We are going to need, we are going, we are going to need to rely on God more, not less. And in a day where false truth and fake news is the norm, we need to resolve ourselves to settle deep into God's word as our ultimate truth 
and map for our lives, establishing it as our authority and living obediently according to it. Well, the wall is complete. And they turn their eyes to the matters of the heart. And as the people gather around this ancient book, the book of the law, as they gather around the word of God, it elicits this response in them. They land on their faces and they worship God and they realize their sin and they set about in obedience. Now there are many examples through history where God moved through his word in a profound and life-altering way because the people started here in the word of God. I'm going to submit to you today that with all we have faced in 2020 and all that we have yet to face, if we want to see a genuine move of God, we have to begin right here. Letting the word of God be the first and ultimate authority in our lives. I'm going to ask Brian to come back. A number of years ago, Dave and I were in Beijing, and we were with a, a tour, so we were traveling with a tour guide and on a tour bus, and every, as soon as we got there at the airport, we loaded onto this bus, and we just did everything on this bus. Well, the tour got off track. And as an apology for that, the tour guide decided that he would take us off the beaten track to what he thought would be a welcome treat. Well, let's just say it was not a welcome treat. It was a dark alley in some back corner of Beijing. We trusted the guide to get us back to our Holiday Inn. Instead, we ended up off track. The world is going to lead us down a dark alley sometimes. Leading into God's word is going to be the lamp to see us through to the other side, folks. Meditate on it. Trust it. Let it be your true north. And see what God can do in you and in us through his word. Take that with you today. God, your word is a lamp to our feet. Would you search our heart, see what's in us that needs to change? And as we ask forgiveness, I am so grateful that you are willing to give it. May the joy of the Lord, all the joy you have for us, the joy set before you, the joy of bringing us to yourself, may it be our strength and our refuge, and now more than ever, May we lean into your truth, God, as the ultimate authority for our lives. We thank you for it, God. 
Fill us up with it, God. Holy Spirit, speak through it. And because we have set our feet firmly upon it, may we experience your presence so richly, so deeply, so uncontainably that it goes from us and beyond. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Brian.